Welcome back to the fourth quarter chaos podcast from the Fans First Sports Network's college football feed. My name is Matt Timonini. I'm joined by Corey Cohen. Corey, you saw a little bit of chaos, not a tremendous amount of chaos in Pittsburgh over the weekend as your Pitt Panthers took on the number five, four, number four four Florida State Seminoles. Uh, It doesn't matter. The the rankings don't matter at this point. But uh, so, yeah. So how, how was the game being back in Pitt in person? It was fun. Yeah, it was was my first game this season, only game in person this season. It was nice to be back. Nice to see some friends. Good game day atmosphere. Great weather in Pittsburgh. And, you know, for the most part, uh, the Panthers played pretty well. They, They kept Florida State in check for a good chunk of it, certainly the first half. And yeah, you, you can't ask for too much more from uh, this this season's pit team. So overall, good weekend. Yeah, awesome. Well, if you are new to the Fourth Quarter Chaos Podcast, what we do on this show is we dive into ten of the most important, entertaining, exciting, and important, most importantly, chaotic games of every college football weekend. We give you the highlights, let you know what was going on, talk about the stats, but also discuss what was uniquely bizarre and crazy and chaotic about them. And then for each game, we give them a chaos rating between one and 100. At the end of the show, we then add them all up to determine what the chaos rating is for the entire week. Coming into week 10, the leader in the clubhouse is week six with a 608 chaos rating that is pretty high i think we might have gotten a little bit over our skis on that one because there were a couple really big games in in that weekend um but we'll see what happens this one was pretty chaotic Corey. like i know you were out watching a a game in person so weren't able to catch everything but there was a lot of chaos and what's exciting about these games Corey, is there was a lot of chaos in games that had implications not only for conference titles but for the college football playoff as well Absolutely, yeah. Some of these ranked matchups, rivalry matchups, just a lot of good, exciting football. And now that we are coming to the point of the season where the playoff rankings are out and they're getting closer and closer to conference championships, all these games matter so much more. So definitely a very fun weekend of college football. We're going to start in the Big 12 with a matchup between Texas and Kansas State. Coming into the weekend, both of these teams were very much in line for a Big 12 conference championship game appearance. Remember the conference uh, or the the Big 12 does not do divisions. So the conference championship game, much like your ACC is now, just pits the two best teams against each other. So there was a little bit of a collection of teams at the top, but both K-State and Texas were in line for that. So this game would go a long way to determining who would play for the conference title. And for the most part, for most of the first three quarters of this game, it looked like the Longhorns, even though they did not have starting quarterback Quinn Ewers available for the game due to injury, they pretty much had this one at hand. The score was 27 to seven with just two seconds left in the third quarter. But then things started to get fun because K-State quarterback Will Howard threw a first down pass to Phillip Brooks on the sideline. Uh, That should have ended the quarter. It should have been a nice pickup down to like the 26 yard line, but Brooks decided he didn't want to get tackled. So he did one spin move to completely avoid one defender, then another spin move to get out of an attempted tackle, and he ends up scoring on a 26-yard touchdown pass to make it 27-14 to going into the fourth quarter. But then, just a minute into that period, backup Texas QB Malik Murphy throws an absolutely awful pass falling backwards across his body that is picked off, and two plays later, 
Kansas State quarterback Howard finds Keegan Johnson for another score to make it 27 to 21 horns. And just in a blink of an eye, it went from being a laugher, a three touchdown game to being within one touchdown. Then with 1253 remaining Texas running back, Jonathan Brooks fumbles it at his own 32, setting the Wildcats up in prime position to take the lead. And then on the very next play, Howard finds uh, Jace Brown for a 32 yard touchdown. And then it is tied before the extra point, but then things continue to get more chaotic because before the extra point, Texas actually jumps off sides. So they move the extra point attempt even closer, but on the attempt, the ball was snapped before the holder was ready. He still had his hand out. He wasn't looking. He was checking back with the kicker and it ends up actually hitting him in the chest. So it's kind of funny. So Kansas state does not get the kickoff. They could not convert it. So it ends up staying tied at 27. From there, Texas hit a uh, a field goal to go up three, and then K-State tied it at 30 as time expired, so they went to overtime. The Horns got the ball first and had to settle for a field goal, but on their first play, the Wildcats got it all the way down to the seven, but they could not convert. Instead of just taking the chip shot field goal to tie, they decided to go for it on fourth down. They roll Howard kind of to the short side of the field to his right, but the Texas defensive line gave him absolutely no shot to do anything. They were about to sack him. He actually slipped uh, and just threw the ball up for an incompletion to end the game in overtime. But, Corey, we've talked a lot about these strategy things on the show. And to me, I understand the idea of wanting to make sure that – you know, you're on the road, you're the underdog, you're in overtime, you want to win the game. But to me, you're a top 25 team. I think they're number 22 in the rankings. You're in the, a battle for a conference playoff uh, or a conference championship berth. You have to take the points there. You can't risk it all on one play that potentially sunk, could sink your entire season. And that's probably what happened here with Kansas State. Yeah, for Kansas State, you would think that they'd be more okay with just playing with house money because of the way their season's gone thus far. Entering this game, they had two losses, but one of those was to Missouri. So they only had one loss in the Big 12, and they very well could have been making a play if they got this victory where they could be playing in the championship game. But instead, with this loss, they are likely out of it. Obviously, things a little bit dicey now. There are a bunch of two-loss teams in Oklahoma State with one you'd have thought that they would have been more determined to just go for that win and, and try to knock down the horns. Well, I mean, they, I, the, I think the problem was that they were going for the win here, but they weren't doing it in a strategically sensible way. I would much rather take my chances kicking the field goal and having a new set of downs on the next possession because they would have started with it because they got it second there. And I know college football overtime is wonky because then you got to go for two and it's the two point conversion thing. But for me, like going forward on fourth down there seemed unnecessary, especially when you had so much writing on it. So what do I know? I'm not paid millions of dollars to coach a college football team, but in you know, hindsight is obviously 2020, but did not work out for the purple people eaters as much as I and many haters around the country would have liked. All right, Corey, let's, uh, let's stick with one team from deep well, in the heart of first Texas. We need a we need a chaos rating. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. Um, chaos rating. It's pretty chaotic. Um, 
you know, for the first three quarters, there wasn't much chaos going on, but the last 15 minutes of regulation, 15 minutes and three seconds of regulation plus overtime was pretty hectic and chaotic and crazy. So I'm going to go with an 83. Uh, I think that's solid because there was, it had everything. It had, it had turnovers. It had uh, crazy plays. It had great, uh, great execution, individual efforts, boneheaded mistakes, all these types of things. So I think this one deserves a solid 83 to get the ball rolling. All right. I like it. All right. Now back to what I was saying before I forgot how the show works. Um, we have one team from Texas, but it is in a different conference. We have Ole Miss against Texas A&M, which was another crazy game that came down to the end, Corey. Yeah, absolutely crazy game this one. So this was Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher up against it. And Ole Miss for a while, they looked like they were going to handle this one pretty easily they had a 14 point lead in the third quarter they had a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter at that point uh AM gets the ball back uh they where they score a, a touchdown they get the ball back after a three and out they score another touchdown they take their first lead of the game with just over four and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter then jackson dart leads ole miss down the field they have a, a really gutsy play call where they had it at, I believe, the one or two yard line of Texas A&M. And they actually ran a wildcat play. And uh, so that's how they scored the touchdown. Ole Miss goes back up with a minute and 40 seconds left. Then Texas A&M gets the ball back. They actually get it into field goal range. And they're in field goal range still with 46 seconds left. But they can't do too much with it. They're still fairly far back so they are within field goal range but not an easy one in fact at one point the ball was moved backwards because uh texas a&m fumbled it they did recover but they did lose some yardage that way at the end final seconds they had a 47 yard field goal attempt to send it into overtime again they're down 38 to 35 they take the field goal and it was tipped ever so slightly. You couldn't oh. even really tell in the live action, but on the replay, you could see just by like the the very edge of this a skin cell of a fingertip got that ball, knocked it out of the way. I mean, who knows what would have happened if not for that? Might have gone into overtime, but it was just tipped by Ole Miss. They hold on to win 38 to 35, and they are still technically alive. Uh, in the SEC West, but uh, for Ole Miss, I think right now, most likely they won't make the SEC championship the way Bama's playing. We'll get to them, but still a great season uh, for the Rebels, and they hang on and get this victory, 38-35. Yeah, it, I had kind of written off in the No Fall Weddings podcast that we did on Saturday here, I'd kind of written off Ole Miss by saying that the Alabama-LSU game was essentially for the SEC West, even though I realized and I, I noted that Mississippi was still in the mix there, but the way Alabama's playing, like, and we're going to talk about them as, in a second, like you said, but Alabama already has the tiebreaker in hand. So uh, we'll see what happens there. All right. So chaos rating with this one, Corey, what do you got? I, for the good chunk of it, it wasn't too chaotic. Like the first half, Ole Miss was pretty much in control. Then it got pretty crazy. The fingertip at the very end was wild. I'll go a 71. All right, 71. Good start from these two games.
Next, I, I feel like even if it wasn't a chaotic game, we would have to talk about a game on this show that is literally called Bedlam. Oh, yeah. So we're going to talk about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, the final Bedlam game for the foreseeable future as Oklahoma departs the Big 12 and heads to the SEC. This one was, there was some chaos, which we'll talk about here in a second, but it was a really entertaining game, a back and forth game. Um, both teams were great. Both quarterbacks were fantastic. Dylan Gabriel for Oklahoma was 36 or 26 for 37 for 344 yards and a touchdown. Alan Bowman for Oklahoma State was 28 for 42 for 334 yards. Um, didn't have any touchdown passes. They actually got three on the ground, including one from Bowman himself on a 13 yard run. But it was just kind of like a heavyweight fight going back and forth. One team would score, the other team would score. There was actually a run in from the second quarter into the fourth quarter where each team would score twice whether it was a touchdown or a field goal the other team would score twice then the other team would score twice so it was a really compelling game all the way throughout but once we got into the fourth quarter things started to get a a little wonky uh we saw a Oklahoma State tried to complete a wide receiver pass they pitched to the wide receiver wide receiver was looking for to, to get the ball back to Bowman, he was completely covered. So in that situation, what's a, what's a running back to do uh, other than to completely throw a rainbow duck 30 yards down the field and hope that somebody catches it? And that's what he did, except for it was intercepted and it was returned about 40 yards to set up a score for the Sooners. Then later on, down three, uh, Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel took the snap but the snap came early because Gabriel was actually mid-clap when the ball was snapped, so he was not ready. So the ball bounced off of him and ended to it ended up being a turnover to Oklahoma State. Um, and then as time is running out, there's like a minute left. Oklahoma is down 27 to 24. They actually complete a fourth down pass to um, – uh, to Drake Stoops, who is their leading receiver, had 134 yards on, on Saturday, which was really impressive. The only problem with that reception is that he was about a yard and a half short, effectively ending the game and ending Bedlam uh, with kind of a crazy play there. So uh, a really exciting game, not the most chaotic in the world, but uh, certainly certainly an entertaining one. Oklahoma fumbled the ball four times. Only two of them were were turned over. Uh, but they also threw in an interception. So that was a little funky, a, a little chaotic. But for the most part, just a really fun game. Did you get to see much of this one uh, at, at all, Corey? I did not. Um, it, uh, I, I believe it kicked off at 3.30. And so, okay, same, yeah, yeah, so same I, time I was, as you guys. Yeah, I was, I was at the pit game. Uh, so I was not able to see it. But I will certainly miss Bedlam. Uh, it's such a fun rivalry, and it's it's really cool in this instance that for the last time, because who knows when Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are going to schedule this again, for the last time that Oklahoma State, the team that's being left behind, were able to get the victory over the, the so-called big brother. Just a, a cool way for it to go out. Yeah, and this is not a rivalry that is especially close, even though... Yeah. The last two games that have been played in Stillwater uh, were won by Oklahoma State. Oklahoma leads all time 91-20-7. So o o OU is dominated even since 2015. They've won every game except for the last two in Stillwater. But it's nice to see the Cowpokes pulling this one off here. 
So uh, I'm going to go, like, it's a solid game. I'm going to give it a little benefit of the doubt because it is Bedlam, and I'm going to give this a chaos rating of 50. All right. All right, Corey, this is one. It was a late night game. I watched this in bed while I was uh, reading a couple chapters of a book because, you know, there's no defense played in the Pac-12 at this point. And so much so that one of the teams involved in this game fired its defensive coordinator on Sunday. So uh, tell me about Washington and USC. Yeah, this game was pretty insane. So the first half especially was just bonkers. There were 12 full possessions in the first half. Nine of those 12 resulted in a touchdown. It was just back and forth, back and forth. USC touchdown, Washington touchdown, USC touchdown, Washington touchdown. Absolutely incredible. Um, It was, what was pretty incredible, what was, was, excuse me, Washington's resilience. USC scored six touchdowns in this game. Five of those six Washington responded with a touchdown. And the only time that they didn't answer with a touchdown, they answered with a field goal. So in almost every single one of these instances, yeah, USC would take a lead, but then Washington would bring it right back and tie the game. Uh, So back and forth for a while, we'll fast forward to the fourth quarter. Uh, USC was down three. They had the ball in field goal range because they did finally force Washington to kick a field goal. So USC is down three. They've got a chance to tie it. But then they get a holding call that moves them backwards. And then a sack on Caleb Williams move them, moves them backwards even further. And they go from tying, perhaps tying the game, to now, I believe at 45 apiece, to now being out of field goal range and being forced to punt it. And that was kind of the last hurrah for USC. That, that was the sliding doors moment where if they don't get the holding call and the sack, they tie the game up. We'll see what happens there. Instead, they're forced to punt it for field position. Then Washington goes down the field. They score a touchdown. Uh, the possession that Washington took to score that touchdown lasted over five minutes. So uh, it certainly ate a lot of clock. At that point, USC was down 10, just over two minutes remaining when they got the ball back. The Huskies defense stepped up and yeah, Washington wins the game 52 to 42, 94 total points scored. There was almost (laughs) zero defense in this. Only very late did Washington's defense step up. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, USC scored a pair of touchdowns in the first quarter, the second quarter, and the third quarter, but then were held scoreless in the fourth. And to me, that's a pretty impressive sign from Washington to be able to step up and do that. The other thing that I think is really interesting about this is we've talked about the fact that Michael Penix Jr. is essentially the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, and he had a decent game. He was 22 of 30 for two, for 256 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But he is not the offensive story for the Huskies in this game. That is junior running back Dylan Johnson, who also had 256 yards. It was just on the ground. He actually had more because he had two receptions for 11 yards. But he had 26 carries for 256 yards. That's a 9.8 yards per uh, attempt average there. And he had four touchdowns. So Michael Penix Jr. probably gets a lot of credit for this win in terms of the Heisman discussion. But Dylan Johnson, my God, 10 yards per carry and four touchdowns. Granted, USC's defense is awful, and they fired Alex Grinch, who I could not believe actually got the job coming with uh, Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, but they got rid of him. But still, what an incredible game for a running back. Oh, it was unreal. I mean, it's funny because you could argue that Michael Penix Jr. had the third best game of offensive players on that field because Caleb Williams also Mm -hmm. had a phenomenal game. And Penix was great. Like, he had a great game, and it's completely understandable why he's the Heisman frontrunner. 
it's just kind of wild that he is right now in position to win the Heisman and Dylan Johnson, again, you make a very good case. He had the, the best game out of anyone. And then Caleb Williams, who is still having like a Heisman worthy season, but just on a team that has now lost three games and has two tough ones coming up because their defense is atrocious. And as you said, Alex Grinch <laughs> was fired shortly before recording this. So yeah, just just a, a wild game of offense. Do not watch this game if you don't if you uh if you want defense. <laughs> do not watch this game if you're an Iowa fan, or maybe do because maybe you're it's it's yeah, aspirational. It. But uh yeah, it, it's this is the exact opposite of an Iowa game. Oh my god. Uh and I, I actually we don't have Iowa in the uh in the rundown this week, so that's the first time in a while. But uh Suffice all right, so give me they didn't score twenty five points though. Well, yeah, but they've already fired their uh, offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, after the season. So that's fine. So, uh, all right. So give me a chaos rating for this one, Corey. So I'm going to go a little bit higher than my first game. So I'll Mm. say a 75. I think the back and forth, the first three quarters back and forth, just bonkers football to watch. We'll see what happens in that. That was our fourth game. We've got six left. We are already approaching halfway to a record so we will see what happens here um we're gonna go into the conference that i cover in the big 10 not a game that i would have highlighted coming into the weekend but we're gonna talk about illinois and minnesota coming into the game minnesota was in first place in the big 10 west however everybody was in the first place in the big 10 west there's actually a four-team tie at the top of that division illinois not so much they have had a a pretty up and down season they have uh already lost um games to uh kansas penn state purdue uh and nebraska and wisconsin so they came in here not really looking like they had we're going to be able to give minnesota much of a shot but uh burt bielema's team never backs down from anybody this one was uh, pretty chaotic, especially down the stretch. The score was 21-20 in favor of Illinois with 6.45 left in regulation. From there, Illini quarterback Lute Altmeyer completed a big first down pass to Isaiah Williams. But as he's going down, he actually coughed it up and Minnesota recovered. From there on second down, Gophers QB, Ethan Kaliak Manis, throws a 31-yard touchdown pass to Daniel Jackson. They go for two uh, to to put them up seven, but they don't convert. So it's actually a five-point game, 26-21. to On the very next possession, Illinois throws a pick this time. So the second uh, possession in a row with a turnover. It's 4.04 left. Minnesota has a chance to ice it if they can go down and score or bleed a bunch of time off the clock. They do eventually have to punt, but they worked about two minutes off the clock. So Illinois gets it deep in their own territory. They're down around their 15, 16 yard line. Then on third and 11, Altmeyer fumbles with 124 left. One of his linemen ends up recovering, but he gets hurt on the play and has to leave the game. So it's a fourth. Uh, it's a fourth down, fourth and like 11 or 12 um, with a minute 24 left like 85 yards to go, and they decide to bring in sixth-year graduate transfer from Ball State, John Paddock. And on that fourth down, he throws a bullet for 38 yards, picks up the first down. He completes another pass. Then on the third play of that drive, it is a uh, uh, a, a, another first down. He throws a 46-yard touchdown pass, again to Isaiah Williams, and despite a failed two-point conversion, that proved to be the game winner. So on that drive, in 30 seconds of game action, 
a sixth-year transfer from Ball State, John Paddock, goes three for three for 85 yards to win the game and get the first Big Ten West win of the season. Illinois had previously beaten Maryland and knocks another team out of the top of the Big Ten West, which had happened quite a bit um, uh, yesterday because in addition to Minnesota losing, we also saw uh, Wisconsin lose. It was a crazy, crazy day. And this one, not going to have as big of an implication in terms of like the college football playoff as some of these other games that we've talked about, Corey. But this is one of those under the radar games that even though, and it's it's one of those things where we talk about this expanded 12-team college football playoff, people talking about, oh, well, games aren't going to mean as much because there's so many teams going to get in. If you watched this game at all, you knew that both of these teams and the fans that were in the stadium we're living and dying with every play. Like that's what makes college football great. Not every game has to revolve around a conference title or, or a, a playoff berth. They're important because they are college football games. So this one kind of reminded me of that. I was getting into it. I was reading, honestly, I was reading for Minnesota. Um, and, uh, but then even, even down the stretch, I kind of found myself rooting for Paddock on that last drive. So I thought this one was really exciting, even if it didn't have, the import of some of the other games that we saw on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's still very cool, as you mentioned, when especially under this current division system where you have teams that might not be as good as the Ohio States and Michigans of the world who can at least get their chance to take on one of those teams in the Big Ten championship game. As a pit person, that was the case in, I believe it was 2018, when the Panthers went 7-5, and five, but they won the Coastal Division of the ACC, went to the ACC Championship game, got crushed by Clemson, of course, but it's still like a point of pride when you get to see your team in a championship game. This is the last year that that's going to be the case for the Big Ten because next year they're doing away from divisions. So one of the mm-hmm. teams in that Big Ten West, as mediocre as it is, is is going to win it. And that's going to be a cool thing for the program, especially if it's someone not Iowa, because Iowa has won it a good amount. Um, yeah. And it's going to be Iowa. It, it it's, is. Gonna it's going to be, be Iowa. Because there were four teams tied at the top of the Big Ten West yesterday going into the game. Uh, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Iowa. Wisconsin lost to Indiana. That was Indiana's first Power 5 win of the season. Nebraska lost to Michigan State. That was Michigan State's first Power 5 win of the season. We just talked about Minnesota losing to Illinois. Not their first Power 5 win of the season, but still a pretty big win. Then Iowa, in all of its Iowa-ness, used a fourth-quarter field goal to beat Northwestern 10-7. to So they're 7-2. and two. They are two games clear of everybody else um, uh, fighting for, for that spot. So they still could potentially lose out. I don't think that's going to happen. So it's going to be Iowa playing probably either Michigan or Ohio State, although Penn State is still in contention there. So um, chaos rating, you know, this is one that was back and forth. But I got to tell you, a a, a sixth-year graduate transfer quarterback coming in and leading an unbelievable drive to win the game, uh, that adds some chaos to it. So I'm going to go... I'm going to go with a a 66 on this one. Uh, doesn't have the import and all that stuff and, and the value that might uh, some of these other games might, but still a pretty thrilling way to win a game. All right, Corey. Now I, I paired two games for you back to back because they have a similarity in, in my mind. They are two games that were won by teams that felt to me like they were saying. We were at the top of the mountaintop. We've taken a, a step back. 
but y'all made it sound like we fell all the way down the mountain. And we are here to remind you that we are still elite programs in college football. And they ended up winning games um, that I think some people thought they could lose, depending on which game we're talking about, might've even thought that they were going to lose. But both of these two programs said, no, 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 my friends, we are still very much at the top of the college football mountain. Yeah, it's uh, in in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friends. Uh, we're going to start with uh, LSU Alabama. And so, of course, Bama in this particular case, the team that was at the top of the mountaintop last year sort of fell off early this year, lost to Texas. Everyone's saying, oh, Bama's done. They almost lost to USF. And don't look now, but tied or coming back as much as many people may might hate to see it. Uh, this game was completely different than the – LSU Bama games of the past. Again, I think back to those defensive <laughs> battles where it was, yeah. yeah, 10 to 7, you know, whatever. This was not that. The SEC is not that anymore. This game was not that. There were 10 possessions in the first half. Six of them ended in touchdowns. Two more of them should have ended in field goals, but they were both missed. But uh, yeah, first half, it was just back and forth. Bama touchdown, LSU touchdown, LSU touchdown, Bama touchdown, back and forth. Late in the third quarter, Alabama is up 35 to 28. But Jaden Daniels throws an interception in horrible field in a horrible field position at LSU's own 30 yard line. Took Alabama just four plays to score a touchdown. So what went from a close game where it looked like, yeah, LSU was just going to tie it right back. No, now uh, Bama gets the ball back four plays. They get another touchdown. They're up 14 points. Then the next drive, Jaden Daniels gets sacked by Alabama linebacker, Dallas Turner. The hit was helmet to helmet. The hit drove him mm -hmm. into the ground. It was really hard. A lot of contact. Jaden Daniels was down for a while. Uh, and unfortunately he did not come back into the game. He was not able to come back into the game. Uh, so it's unclear moving forward what the case is. His backup Garrett Nussmeyer came in for the rest of the game. But basically once Jaden Daniels went out, who is a Heisman contender, the game was pretty much over. So it was absolutely thrilling for a good chunk of it. And then when Jaden Daniels was out for the rest of the game, it was like, okay, LSU's down two touchdowns. They cannot come back without Jaden Daniels. Even with him, they might not have been able to, but certainly not without yeah. him. So that was pretty much it. Alabama holds on to win 42-28. to Jaden Milrow, who, if you remember, there was that quarterback competition early this season. Nick yeah, Saban he got wasn't benched short. at one point. He got benched. He had 374 all-purpose yards against LSU, four touchdowns, all of those on the ground. Jaden Milrow has firmly taken over, and, uh, yeah, Alabama just looks uh, incredible at this point, and – it's looking like they're going to make it into the SEC championship game, and that could be an absolute thriller if it is, in fact, them versus Georgia. It's one of those things where earlier in the season, I thought, hey, there's a shot that we might not get an SEC team in a college football playoff because Georgia was looking kind of wonky, potential losses where they, where they weren't looking very good. And we thought, well, Alabama lost to Texas, so if they lose one game in the West, they, they would be out. And now it looks like there's a legitimate shot to get two in, to get both Georgia and Alabama. If Alabama pulls off the win in the SEC championship game, I, I would imagine that there's no chance that we don't get two in. Um, you know, I guess you could argue that it's going to be in that situation, Georgia versus the loser of Ohio State and Michigan. 
uh, well, could be no, a thing. Because to me, you could make a case if the, the winner of the Big Ten gets in, the winner mm-hmm. of the SEC championship, in this case, let's say Alabama runs the table, then mm-hmm. if Florida State goes undefeated, wins out, right. and Washington goes undefeated and wins right. out, I think then Georgia is left out. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if if it comes down to where there is, because if because if all of the other conference champions win, like if if uh, Florida State, um, uh, Washington, and then the winner of the Big Ten, if they're undefeated, they're obviously in. Then I think in this situation, Alabama would get in. But if Florida State or Washington loses, and you're trying to find a fourth team in there, it's probably going to come down to in this imagined scenario, Georgia versus the loser of Ohio State and Michigan. Um, that is not how I would have drawn it up three weeks ago. I would not have imagined that that was going to be the situation here, but it makes for a really fun last few weeks of the season because, you know, we're saying this, there's three weeks left in the regular season. We we're saying this knowing full well that other teams that are in contention here are going to lose. I still find it highly unlikely that Washington is going to go undefeated just because of all of the teams that they still have to play in the Pac-12. And you saw Florida State up close and personal. I know they don't, I don't think they have a lot. Uh, I mean, they still have to play Miami, I think this weekend, and then Florida at the end of the regular season. Then they have to play probably Louisville in the ACC championship game. So those are, I guess, potentially losable games, especially to the Cardinals, but uh, lots can still happen. But anyway, Corey, chaos rating for Alabama and LSU. For that one, it was great for a while. Then it kind of dipped. I'll go like a, 56. All right. The other one on our two-headed monster of Blue Bloods reasserting themselves back in your neck of the woods with the ACC, Clemson and Notre Dame. Yeah, this was, uh, as you said, Clemson and Alabama, it became a regular feature seeing those two play each other in the national championship. And you thought Bama kind of had a down year or two. Clemson, I mean, Dabo was getting calls from Tyler from Spartanburg, you know, saying he's not (laughs) worth anything. It it was wild. So Clemson fell to four and four entering this game and they're hosting Notre Dame, a team that has looked pretty good this season. Um, Second quarter, Sam Hartman throws a pick six to put Clemson up 24 to six. It looked like it was going to be completely out of control. Sam Hartman threw two interceptions in this game. And in fact, last week against Pitt, Another team even worse than Clemson, but certainly not a a contender, not a top tier team. You could not argue that Clemson or Pitt are top tier teams this season. And against those two, he has thrown zero touchdowns, four interceptions. Now, both teams have very good defenses. The reason they're bad is because they're offenses, but still. Zero touchdowns, four interceptions for Sam Hartman in his last two games. Uh, and the Clemson offense, they they stepped up. Now, Clem, uh, Kate Klubnick did make a mistake. In the third quarter, he threw an interception that was nearly a pick six. Uh, Notre Dame ran it back in the very next play after the interception was a touchdown. That cut it to one possession. Notre Dame was only down eight points. And, uh, yeah, with six minutes and five seconds left in the third quarter, Notre Dame was down eight. No one scored for the rest of the game. At that point out, it became a defensive battle, which is really what I expected from this because these two teams have been very good defensively this year and their offenses have been kind of a mess. And so it was really a surprise to see what we saw for the first half and change down the stretch. It was, oh yeah, this is, these are these two teams. They're not very good offensively and their defenses are actually really good. And so, yeah, 
for about half of the third quarter and the entirety of the fourth quarter, there was not a single score. Notre Dame down eight the entire time. Almost every single possession was a three and out. So at no point did anyone even really come close to scoring. Uh, big game for Clemson running back Phil Maffa. He had 187 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Clemson holds on to beat Notre Dame 31 to 23 with a big defensive performance in the second half. The Tigers start to write the ship and Notre Dame again, another loss and knocks them out of contention for like a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, and and hurts my Buckeyes in the uh, strength of schedule for the playoff rating, mm. but that's neither here nor there. Uh, all right, chaos rating for this one, Corey. What do you got? So this one wasn't particularly chaotic. There was the pick six, and then another that was almost a pick six, but it was below average. I was I was hoping for more. I'll say like a thirty nine. All right, let's move on. We're gonna go outside of the Power Five. And actually going to visit one of the two non-Power 5 teams that were in the college football rankings last week. The two teams in the college football playoff rankings that were group of five teams were number 24, Tulane, and number 25, Air Force. Air Force was undefeated coming into one of the games for the Commander-in-Chief's trophy with Army. Army having a very good season, you know, not by any means uh, having the same type of of run that Air Force has had, but they have done pretty well. And it really is kind of interesting when you see two service academy teams play each other because they traditionally always have this unique uh, triple option style. But Air Force, because I guess it's in their name throws the ball a little bit more often than either Army or Navy does. It did not work for them in this game. What is crazy about this is that Army won the game 23-3, to completely shut down Air Force's offense. But it's almost like you might say that Air Force shut down its own offense. They turned the ball over six times. Twice were interceptions from uh, quarterback Zach Larrier. There were four fumbles on the game. They actually fumbled another time, but but recovered it. And they really just couldn't get a whole lot going because they kept turning the ball over. Uh, Bryson Daly, the quarterback for Army, had 40 yards passing, but he had 170 yards on the ground. He ran the ball 36 times, ended up having two touchdowns. Uh, Zach Larry, who I mentioned, the quarterback for Air Force, he did throw the ball for 93 yards, but he was nine for 22, had those two picks I mentioned, and he ran the ball 20 times, but only for 45 yards. So a very, very ugly offensive day for Air Force, Army getting the win, taking the lead in the Commander-in-Chief's trophy, which, you know, presuming what happens uh, with Army and Navy after conference championship weeks, this uh, probably looks like they're going to win, especially because Navy's not having a very good season. Um, not a super chaotic game, but not what I would have expected coming in. Six turnovers by Air Force. I am sure that they will get uh, a, a, a lot of pay payment have to uh, be made because of that. When it comes to practice, it actually probably happened on Sunday already, but uh, kind of a crazy game, a surprising score, not just because Army won, but by uh, but the fact that they won 23 to three is, is pretty crazy. So not a hugely chaotic game aside from the six uh, from the six turnovers, but I'm going to go with uh, with 45 on that one uh, because it does knock knock Air Force out of almost certainly the college football playoff rankings. So we will see who kind of steps up to take that spot. 
Yeah, I it's I liked Air Force. I'm genuinely shocked at this result. I thought they were a really good football team. I thought they might have a chance to get into a New Year's Six Bowl if they climb up as a group yeah, of five I, team. Th- this was honestly shocking to me that not only did they lose, but it wasn't even close. That complete yeah. stunner. But it's like, you know, they say with rivalry games, like anything can happen. When these service academies play each other, absolutely anything can happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go out. To the Pac-12 again for a second time, Corey, and uh, tell me about Arizona and UCLA. Yeah, so Arizona versus UCLA. Uh, this game was a nightcap. Uh, these were this is a UCLA team that came into this week ranked. They were in pretty good position. They did lose twice on the season entering this contest, but both of those losses pretty excusable. They lost to Utah, a team that was playing excellent football. They've kind of slipped a little bit, but uh, defensive battle, they, they lost. And that was at Utah. Utah at home is is phenomenal. And they lost at Oregon mm-hmm. State, another team that's done a great job at home. And uh, the Beavers are 7-2 and two this year. So UCLA actually putting together a pretty good season, but they come in playing Arizona. This Arizona team, their season is wild. So just talking about the last couple weeks leading up to this, they beat Washington state on the road, a team that was at the time ranked 19th. They absolutely clobbered them 44 to six. Then they beat Oregon state at home 27 to 24 last week. They come into this game against UCLA and their defense shut down the Bruins. UCLA did not get a score until the final seconds of the second quarter, right before halftime. They almost had a field goal early in the second quarter. That was blocked uh, by the Wildcats. Uh, Tough game for UCLA. Their starting quarterback, Ethan Garbers, got injured. Their backup quarterback, Dante Moore, got injured. So at one point, they were down to their third-string quarterback. We'll see what happens moving forward for UCLA. Uh, Going into the fourth quarter, Arizona had a seven-point lead. But in that fourth quarter, they scored 10 points, and they did not allow any. Again, Part of it is the injury to both UCLA quarterbacks, but they just completely uh, stifled the Bruins offense. Noah Fafita, the quarterback for Arizona, 300 passing yards, and that's against the UCLA defense. That is pretty legit, in my opinion. Uh, so now Arizona, they get the victory over UCLA, 27-10 to 10 in that late game. And it's actually kind of amazing the season that Arizona's having under third-year head coach Jeff Fish. His uh, The year before him, Kevin Sumlin was still the head coach. They went, I believe, 0 for 5 in the COVID year in 2020. He got fired. Jeff Fish's first year, a lot of turnover. It was tough. They started one, and they went 1-11 in his first season. Last year went 5-7. and seven. And don't look now, but Arizona might get eight or nine wins at this point. Uh, the Wildcats yeah. are 6-3 and three right now. And if you look at three of their law of their three losses, two of them came down to overtime. They lost to Mississippi State in overtime back in early mm-hmm. September, and then they took USC in LA to triple overtime, and they nearly beat Caleb Williams and the Trojans. If they just win those two overtime games, the only loss on their resume would be against Washington, and they only lost by a touchdown to the Huskies. So yeah. Arizona putting together a phenomenal season under Jed Fish. Really impressive what they've been able to do against a very deep Pac-12. And they've just become, you know, these slayers. Like, they're knocking out Washington State, Oregon State, UCLA. I'm not saying they can beat Washington or Oregon because we already saw they can't beat Washington. And I don't think they could beat Oregon. But outside of that, like, Arizona, they could make a realistic case that they could be the third best team 
in the Pac-12 right now, which is wild. Well, they they are currently, you know, quite a ways back because Washington is not only in first place but has the uh, has the the tiebreaker. But even with two losses, their three games left this season in the Pac-12 are winnable. They have to play uh, Colorado next week, then they play Utah, but they get them at home. Utah, as you said, is kind of started to slow their roll down. They are not getting quarterback cam rising back this year. So this is pretty much a defense only team, not a defense first team, but a defense only team. And then they finish it off with Arizona state in the rivalry game and Arizona state's awful. So this is a team that very well could end up, um, you know, winning all three of those games and putting itself in contention, depending on what happens with other teams for a PAC 12 title berth. I think they're still, you know, it's still a, a long shot, but they have uh, enough wins to potentially do it, especially if they can pull off these three victories down the stretch. So um, what do you have in terms of a chaos rating for this one, Corey? So it was not very chaotic. What Arizona has been doing has been a little bit chaotic. The game itself, not too much. I'll go with like a 24. All right. The game we're going to wrap up with is a the game that I think will actually put the Georgia Bulldogs ahead of my Ohio State Buckeyes in the college football playoff rankings when those are announced on Tuesday. They took on the Missouri Tigers. Missouri came in uh, as a ranked team. I don't remember what. Uh, were they 22? I don't remember where they were. Missouri, I believe, was 12. Oh, no, 12. 12. I knew there was a two in there somewhere. Yeah, they were number 12 coming in. Seven and one. Um, it was a pretty competitive game o- o- overall. Uh, Georgia's, uh, Georgia quarterback Carson Beck Went 21 for 32 for 254 yards and two touchdowns. No one really shown on Georgia in terms of uh, of the stats, but they got the benefit of the doubt because of two turnovers, both of them happening happening late in the game, and we'll talk about them. Um, Brady Cook, the quarterback for Mizzou, was only 14 of 30 for 212 yards, but running back Cody Schrader uh, had 22 carries for 112 yards and a touchdown. So. A kind of a, a a steady SEC type game where, if you look at the stats, everything is really close. Um, Georgia had 385 yards of total offense. Mizzou had 363 um, third downs. Uh, Missouri was five for 13. Georgia was six of 13. They had 65 total plays for UGA, 64 for Missouri. Pretty much everything was pretty close except for those turnovers, and it really came. Uh, you know, became an issue with 757 left in regulation. Mizzou had the ball and they were down 27-21. But quarterback Brady Cook threw a just a horribly ill-advised pass that was picked off by defensive lineman Nazir Stackhouse. It actually like hit him in the stomach. Um, but he <laughs> big man, we love defensive linemen running the ball. He returned it 44 yards and just Barely got tripped up down at the five. Um, it, if he would have scored, actually, it wouldn't have counted because there was a 15-yard penalty for a chop block that pushed Georgia back. They ended up only mustering a field goal there, so it was 30-21 uh, to 21 with a minute and a half left, and uh, Cook threw another interception that, that sealed the loss. But um, this is one of those games where, again, where you look at it, and Missouri is better than some of the teams that Georgia has struggled with uh, earlier in the season, including like South Carolina. But it's one of those things where you watch it and you're like, Georgia's good. I don't know if they're great, though, Corey. It's one of those things where like, yes, they beat a top 12 team by by two scores technically because it was nine points. 
but you don't look at them thinking, oh, they are the dominant bulldogs that we've seen in recent years. Yeah, this this whole season is really exciting because it is wide open. They're not unbeatable. This is not the Georgia team of last year or the year before. And yeah, I mean, they've got some tough games coming up. They, they had some trouble with Missouri. They're going to have some trouble with Ole Miss. They might have some trouble at Tennessee. You never know with Georgia tech though. I don't think that's going to be much trouble. And then the S and then the sec championship game. So three out of the next four games could very well be, pretty difficult for the Bulldogs. I would not be shocked if they lost one of them. I certainly wouldn't be shocked if they lost in the playoff. As you said, this is a pretty uh, good, this is a very good Georgia team, but far from unbeatable and a pretty wide open season. Yeah, this one, not super chaotic, but actually kind of entertaining and and telling. So I'm going to go with a 45 there. um, And that will put us at a decent, but not Super impressive, 554 on our weekly chaos rating. That actually puts us at like I think that's the fourth uh, score. Yeah, fourth total score. Number uh, week six was at 608. Week eight was at 575. Then week one was 555. So this is just one point behind that. Started out strong, maybe a little top heavy here, but um, you know comes in with a decent 554. Overall, and I think things are just going to continue to get more chaotic here, Corey, as we get down the stretch. But looking at next week, give me a game that you think could potentially be exceptionally chaotic in week 11. Yeah, so looking at these games for week 11, uh, I I think there's a chance that... um, Michigan Penn State could be a little bit chaotic. I don't think Penn State is is great, but Michigan has not been tested really. So I'm interested to see how that game goes. That could uh, be a little bit chaotic. I also think there's a chance that Utah versus Washington could be chaotic. Just I want to see what that Washington offense strength on strength. Yeah, yeah. that that is a, a great Utah defense and a great Washington offense. Tennessee Mizzou could be crazy, but I'm going to go for a late game. Um, I think USC Oregon, I know USC is, is out of it, but I do think that that game is similar to this past week's USC Washington game is just going to be touchdowns back and forth, back and forth. And uh, yeah, those games are full of chaos. They might not be, high quality football, at least on one side of the football, but we saw in week one with TCU, Colorado, we saw it this week with USC, Washington, those games can be a lot of fun. So I do think that one's just going to be a shootout. So I'll, I'll say that. The other one I'll throw out there is the team uh, or is the game with Georgia and Ole Miss happening at 7 PM on ESPN. If it wasn't between the hedges and Athens, I might be really tempted just for kicks and giggles to pick the rebels here. I don't think that I will, but Georgia Ole Miss could be interesting. Uh, could very, very well be interesting, especially because we know, as we talked about earlier, Ole Miss might've been looking ahead a little bit when they took on Texas a in this past week and pulled out the victory 38 to 35, but we'll be very interesting to see what happens when Georgia plays back to back high quality teams. I do kind of think that one will be a one score game. I, I think that might be a really phenomenal yeah. game. I don't know about chaos. Maybe, maybe it'll be chaotic, but I do think it'll be like a high quality, really interesting and entertaining football game. 
Yeah, like we said, Georgia has not exactly been burying the teams that you think they would bury. I mean, it was a 27-20 win over Auburn. It was a 24-14 win over South Carolina. They ended up racing out against uh, UAB, but at halftime, they were down or they were only up 28-14 like times when Georgia has not been able to put up big numbers against teams that you think they should. If that happens, you know that we will talk about it here on the Fourth Quarter Chaos Podcast from the Fans First Sports Network College Football Feed. If you want to follow along with us, you can follow us on social media at Fans First SN. We also highly, highly recommend that you subscribe to us wherever you get your daily dose of audio goodness, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you can subscribe to podcasts of your choice. You can follow me on social media at Matt. Corey, r- remind everybody of all of the various social media handles that you have depending on the platform. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I am still pretty active on Twitter, so you can find me there at Corey E. Cohen, and uh, you can occasionally find me on Blue Sky uh, or or Instagram, either Corey Cohen or Corey E. Cohen, uh, and that is Corey spelled C-O-R-E-Y, the proper way to spell it. Uh, not uh, not C-O-R-Y. But, yeah, so you can find me there. You can find me over on the Pit Talk Network. You can find me here on the FFSN College Football Feed, also on Action Pack, talking ACC football. And, uh, yeah, uh, hope to, to see you find listeners around. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful week. We will be back to talk to you next week following week 11. And don't forget, whenever you get the chance, to embrace the chaos. <laughs>